Cheering at pro wrestling shows in Japan is back, and 2023 is already shaping up to be a big year in the history of pro res. That's why you should listen to the Emerald Flow Show. From the Royal Road to the Green Mat, Paul and Gerard take you into the world of All Japan Pro Wrestling and Pro Wrestling NOAA. Not only do we analyze events, but we examine business, who is getting over, what angles are working, or not. Occasionally, we take a look at other Japanese promotions like DDT and Zero One. So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Uh, 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 uh. Competition starting to get thick, it's the click, so I hope you watch your A-game, A-main, no rain from the track when we unite and spit, this is an A-game, better bring your A-game. Competition starting to get thick, it's the click, so I hope you watch your A-game, A-main, no rain from the track when we and now it's the Mike and JD show and I'm your host Mike Gilbert and I'm joined this week by a very special guest uh Mr call him Mr Mr Warren Hayes how you doing Warren I'm very you very well thank you for asking Mike hope you're doing well as well I'm excited I, to be I, here yeah yeah I'm ex- man we've been actually talking about this for a little bit and I know JD and I were talking about it last week too um so uh, unfortunately JD couldn't be here he uh you know for family reasons so I just want to give a shout out to JD. JD, we love you, brother. We uh, we love the whole Oliva family, uh, and we're we're sorry for your loss. And uh, we'll hope to get you back on the show here soon, man. Yep, for real, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but we'll we'll get we'll get right into the show. Um, so actually, we typically Warren. Sorry, I'm a little flustered. So typically, you know, we we get into a little bit of banter, man. But uh, let's talk about you before we get into the show. Let's introduce you to the audience. Um, oh, that'll be great banter. I'm, yeah. just, I'm super excited. That's that's the best kind of banter, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's let's introduce you to the audience. So, uh, you you know, you've been streaming for a long time. You got the Mr. Warren Hayes podcast over on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts at. Uh, you've been off for a little bit, man. But uh, you're looking to get back into the game here pretty soon. I I hope so. You know, I've 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 been pretty open about it. You know, I had uh, I had some some impromptu heart surgery at the uh, start of January, uh, just uh, sitting down eating meatloaf. You know, so I think meatloaf is going to become a banned meal here at the <laughs> at the Hayes <laughs> compound. Um, uh, but it's totally unrelated. Uh, no, I had to. They call it a burst aorta, Mike. A ruptured aorta, depending on who you're talking to. So what it does, what happens is that the, your your aorta from the inside sort of splits the like the the the, the side the, the 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 side of your aorta of your aorta sort of splits, so it creates like another canal where the blood keeps pumping but goes nowhere, right? And it's hmm. supposed to go to your brain. So what happens if you don't have enough blood that goes to your brain? It's a stroke. Um, yeah. So you know. It was very a, a very surprising pain in in the chest, and then I hit the bricks and went straight to to the emergency ward, and they operated on me, and everything was fine. I woke up the next day, and then from that point on, every medical person that I've met since were like, "Wow, you're really lucky." I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, I don't know if I want to hear this." You know, I appreciate yeah. the like, I know yeah. I appreciate the sentiment. I know what you're trying to say, but yeah, it's really it's, it's kind of scary. So. 
that's so I haven't been doing anything. I've still been watching wrestling, but I haven't been doing anything. So when you guys invited me, I was like, oh, well, let's dip our toes. Let's see. Let's see how it goes. Let's see how my energy levels maintain and whatnot. And uh, uh, so this might be uh, this might be the catalyst, man. This might be the the, the kickoff to the, the big return. <laughs> Well, I hope so. Or it could go, we could really shit the bed. And you're like, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> you know. So I hope, I hope, I hope that doesn't happen. So I hope, I hope this does uh, get, get you back, get you back into the space. Cause, uh, cause uh, we need you back. Uh, we need somebody to, uh, even though CM Punk is not around, we still need to hear your thoughts on uh, CM Punk and all of his shenanigans. You know what I mean? Uh, and you know, what was frustrating. I'll tell you what was really frustrating to have, had the operation uh early january you, you you've seen we you've seen it mike and you've i listened to your show you and jd you do you guys do a fantastic job you're in my rotation and uh, all the news that was happening just like at the start of the year and i'm sitting like i'm lying in a hospital bed you know i've got shit plugged all over and then you got you got the janelle grant uh lawsuit then you have you know, Scott Damore, you've got the stardom, you know, Rossi leaving. I'm sitting there, I'm going, can someone bring me a microphone? <laughs> i got to do something here. It was so frustrating for all of that stuff happening. It was, uh, it was awful. And yeah. the CM Punk injury on top of that, the Royal Rumble. Yeah, dude. It's sad. Yeah, honestly, like 2024... I've been podcasting for a few years now and I got to say like, as far as news goes, this has probably been like the wildest year since I've been podcasting. It's been insane. And it's just a short amount of time. This is yeah. so much stuff happening in a short amount of time. Like it, it, it's February now. And I feel like we've been through an entire year cycle of wrestling news <laughs> when we're not even done. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I always wonder like, a lot of times I don't even put my notes together now um, up until like maybe just like a few hours before the show. Cause I'm like so many times I'm about to go live and then something happens and it just kind of blows like all of my, all of my notes out of the water. There's yeah, so many exactly. things that have happened that I haven't even had the opportunity to cover because like other stuff just kind of took precedence and I don't want to do a four hour podcast. So, so uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been crazy. Um, but you know what? I, I think this week, um, I don't want to say it was a slow week, but it was, it was a, a lots of news have happened. Some ha stuff happened today. So we're going to cover all of that. And then I want you guys to stick around because, uh, Warren and I, so typically when JD and I record on Thursday night, we'll, we'll stop the recording after we're done with the Mike and JD show. Uh, we'll go take a piss and we'll come back and we'll start a new stream, um, uh, stream piss. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start it. We'll start a new stream. And then that's that, why you, that's why you're on the network. Yes, that, yes, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, so we start a new stream that we typically go to Patreon. And it's like our Mike and JD overtime, right? Overtime with Mike and JD. Um, but tonight, what we're gonna do is is you're gonna get overtime right here on the YouTube channel, um, right here on Voices of Wrestling YouTube and on the Mike and JD Show YouTube channel. Uh, and Warren and I are gonna talk about. Hulk Hogan versus Sting from 1997 as part of Sting Week, our Sting series. Um, I've been releasing a different uh, podcast a day that JD and I have recorded in the past. So uh, we've done Dangerous Alliance. We did uh, Vader. I think Mick Foley comes out tomorrow. Kurt Angle came out today. We also did Black Scorpion and Ric Flair. Um, and uh, tonight, Warren and I, we are gonna, we're going to tackle probably 
um, it's not his best feud, but I would say his most infamous feud that he ever had was with Hulk Hogan in WCW 1997. That sounds about right. Like uh, it's, uh, uh, it's well known for all the wrong reasons. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll get into it later, but yeah. uh, you know, it's uh, spoiler alert, you know, it's not a great match, but the ramifications are important. They're tremendous and they're very indicative of, uh, of what sting was dealing with at the time. So yeah. Very yeah. interesting. It'll, it'll be fun to talk about. Absolutely. So uh, thanks, everybody, for being here. If uh, if you're watching on YouTube, whether you're on the Mike and JD show or YouTube or Voices of Wrestling, please hit the like button and give us a subscribe. I'm sure somebody in the comments uh, tomorrow when I read the comments, because I actually do read the comments, will say, why are you yelling at me to give me a like and a subscribe? Well, uh, because sometimes if people don't tell you, you don't actually think to do it. And I know that's that's me. Like I never think to just to hit the like button. So um, and what that does is it really helps us get into the algorithm a little bit and, and sends a signal out to other people that are scrolling on YouTube to come check us out. And we would really like it if you guys check this out. And if you do check us out and you do like the show, uh, please head over to patreon.com slash the Mike and JD show for all the bonus content that you could love. Uh, it's a good way to support the show. It keeps the lights on. Uh, keeps me, uh, it keeps my wife letting me do the show. Let's just say that. Uh, because with, without it, I don't think I'd be able to anymore. Um, but since we already talked about Sting, uh, did you get a chance to watch Sting from last night's Dynamite Man? How cool was that? No, oh, man, uh, look, uh, tremendous. How uh, I got shivers. Look, I, I was I was very much into WCW at the time, uh, you know, post uh, Bash, of the, Bash of the Beach 1996, very much so. So, all you know, seeing him rappel down from the top, that was just phenomenal. Like I was hoping they were going to do it. Then, I, but you know, then I was like, "Do you want to do it from you know Greensboro, which is a big, you know, it's a big arena." It's, mm -hmm. But look, the, you know, this was a smaller venue. Uh, they pulled it off. It was tremendous. I was pleased as punch to see that. That was amazing. Yeah, you know what? It actually took me back to like when I was a kid. Now, I'm sure somebody will correct me, but I don't ever remember him doing that his entire tenure in TNA. And he obviously never did it in WWE because they were never going to do that again after what happened to Owen. So just seeing him do that, it kind of like it took me back to like, as you're saying, back to 1996 to 1998 when he was really at his peak with that Crow character. Um, I, I absolutely loved it. The crowd went crazy. And then Tony Schiavone with the call of his life, like kind of like halfway losing his voice as he was yelling sting. And uh, I, I think also right now we got to give them credit. These, these two little shits, uh, the young bucks, uh, these guys, I, I think they're doing some of their greatest character work that they've ever done in their career with this, uh, with this heel turn that they did. And uh, the Matthew and Nicholas Jackson and uh, chasing around sting. I, I dig the whole thing, man. And I'm really excited for Sunday. You know, the, you couldn't have asked for two guys to lean in more into making the the beloved icon even more beloved, if that makes sense, right? In this in this yeah. circumstance, because look, the Jacksons have always been at their best when they're heels, when they're mm -hmm. just shit balls. We, yes. we can, we yes. can we, there, there's a little cursing permitted here, right? Oh, uh, uh, shit, fuck balls. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. There you go. So, so they're really at their best, but they've cranked it. They've cranked it up here. They're leaning into everything people, every bad thing people say about them online. They're leaning into it right now, and they're they're they're, they're they've absorbed it. They are the characters 
that people imagine them to be online when they're discussing the young bucks. And it could, and it's to Sting's advantage here because these you don't want to see these guys win. You want to see Sting and Darby by 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 extension. You want to see them beat the Bucks up. It's going to be a tremendous match. This has been excellently built. Uh, I I don't think there could have been two better opponents in in the AEW sphere than uh, than the Bucks to do this. Honestly, yeah. You know what? So my original idea. Because I always book everything like myself, and then I'm like one of those guys that gets mad when they don't use my ideas that they didn't know about. You know, I'm like one of those fans. And so my my idea was Sting versus Samoa Joe for the world title. Um, okay. And and I thought that would have been great, and it would have been kind of like an ode to their. You know, they they had a match at TNA at Bound for Glory years ago, and Samoa Joe broke his butthole on a on a on a, a drop kick on the outside where he he slammed mm-hmm. on the stairs. So that that's what I was thinking. Like main event, Samoa Joe versus Sting. Sting's always done a really good job against bigger opponents. You know, I, we we just covered like his uh, his rivalry with uh, with Vader and Cactus Jack, and so I was like, oh, that would be perfect. And and then Tony Khan just totally kills my idea with something that was just way better. And him and him and Darby winning the tag titles, and then and then headlining Revolution with, against the Young Bucks. I don't think you're right. They they that was much better than my idea. I think they they knocked it out of the park with this. My stupid idea was uh, was against Darby, just like having a, a you know a, a you know passing of the torch kind of thing or whatever you know a a, a celebratory match of their union. It's just like well let's. You know, I'm on my way out. And you look, everything that Sting has said about Darby Allen has been uh, highly complimentary. Uh, he even brought him to Japan to do the Muda, uh, the Great Muda mm-hmm. matches. Like, you know, clearly Sting and Darby have a legitimate connection. I think they they, they get along very well. And I thought that, you know, have Darby and Sting go at it. The, 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 I would have been into that. But I'm into this, like you. I'm into this yeah. much more. I think this yeah. is tremendous. Yeah, rarely does a booker book something better than what I booked in my head, you know, because I have <laughs> a bias about what I about what what my ideas are. But no, I, I think Tony Khan uh, nailed it. So okay, so say let's let's give Warren the book for uh, Revolution on Sunday. Um, how did do, how does it end? Does the Bucks Sting, win. The Sting. The, the Bucks win. Okay, so you're, oh, you're the, Bucks the Bucks win. over no matter what. Okay. Oh God, yeah. I, I mean, look, listen. The Bucks see. Here's the thing, and and I, I am convinced that Sting is going to do this. He's he's old school. He oh, believes yeah. in the classics. He's going to lie down. He's going to do the job because the Bucks have to continue after this. The yeah. Bucks have to continue being the shit balls that they are right now. There could not be. They could not become bigger shit balls than pinning the icon Sting, not Darby, pinning yeah. Sting. Uh, flat on his back and taking the titles coming into dynamite uh, on Wednesday with, with the belts and whatever other paraphernalia they're going to, they're going to, that they're going to use during the match. This would be, you know, not unlike the, the, the suits with the blood that they've been keeping, you know, to me, there's no other outcome than this. Like, you know, people wanting sting to win. I get it, but I think sting is, I think he's, uh, he's well, not only do I think, I know he's old school. I think he's going to want to do the old school thing, and that is go out on his, leave the territory on your back, and uh, because I think he understands that these guys 
have to continue. They have to m- continue moving forward. I, I I just love I love this persona of the Bucks so much. It has yeah. to, it, it has to be. They have to become even worse. Yeah, you know, I I I agree with you. There is a part of me that would kind of like like to see Sting get that send off. You know, um, like kind of like Vern Gagne did back in the day, and Fritz von Erich did, <laughs> where like the the conquering hero they retired as Kazuchika Okada. Yeah, Kazuchika Okada. Um, so there there is that that part, like that little kid that still lives inside of me. That, that Sting is like, I never call Sting Superman because to me he's always been Batman. Like I've always seen him as like Batman, right? the right. dark knight character i think That's they're right. synonymous right mm-hmm. and but i completely agree with you this is just pro wrestling i think if if tony khan and the young bucks even presented sting with the idea that he would win and not drop the titles he would look at them like they're crazy like he'd be like absolutely not uh there's no way i'm not getting pinned you guys are like he hasn't been beaten his entire run here he's like there's you guys have to pin me this is this is the only way it works exactly. can you and then you have matt and nick saying we are the ones, we are the only people who pin Sting. You know, yeah. they have that on top of everything just to continuously piss people off. No, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm way too much into this, to, well, to, into this run from the Bucks right now for, for, for that outcome to not happen. Absolutely. And then, and then you can have like a tag team coming up to defend Sting's honor against the Young Bucks. Kind of like what, if you remember back when uh, Shawn Michaels retired Ric Flair with, with one of Ric Flair's retirements, like Batista did that. So but they, they leaned into a Batista-Shawn Michaels feud right after that. And right. I thought that one did pretty well. And I thought that was a pretty good story. So they could even do that. I don't know that, you know, FTR would be the guys for that. that you know, they're, they're my favorites. So I think that would be cool. But I, I think that they could actually elevate another young tag team up to defend the honor of Sting and chasing the Young Bucks, I think that would be cool too. That would be that, no, that that'd be a very good idea. The see for all the reasons that you just pointed out right there, Mike. I think that Sting understands that, and 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 he understands that the, that this company, these people, are going to have to continue without him. Yeah, and might as well just you know, as they like to say, do the right thing, go out on your back, and. Uh, and and just now you can make an argument that do yeah. the young bucks need this they don't need it but it's going to be great though <laughs> you know like, yeah well, i do the young bucks need it no does AEW need the young bucks to be molten hot i think i think they do because you know, I think they do look out, outside of certain markets their ticket sales are not doing great ratings are doing fine pay-per-views are doing fine but their arena business is a little bit down right now. So I think that getting the young bucks as hot as possible, you know, the young bucks being like, you know, founders of the company two of their hot, their biggest stars. Um, I, I would say, yeah, absolutely. I, I think AEW needs the young bucks to get hot like this, you know? Yeah, no, I, you could make, you know, if someone wanted to make me, a, a, wanted to make an argument of in regards to the bucks, uh, not really hitting the heights, you know, so far in their entire AEW tenure, uh, sure, I'd get behind that. When when were the Young Bucks like really hot? Like like you said, you use the word molten. When were the Young Bucks previously in their AEW in their AEW career molten hot? You know, doesn't really they, come to mind. 
they've never been the top act in the company. And I think that's no. always been kind of like from a guy like me that was a big fan of them. I'm still a big fan of theirs, obviously. Um, I, I always, I always thought, you know, AEW kind of sold themselves on like tag teams, getting opportunities to like main event pay-per-views and being top acts. And um, it's just never really happened. I know ring of honor, they made events at a couple like FTR and the Briscoes made evented, but um, you just haven't seen that in AEW. So I thought that the young bucks would kind of, would would be that for this company and never really got there. And I think if they can get some heat off of this deal, maybe they do get there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's go to the chat. We do, man, we got a lot of people on the chat. Um, let's, let's see. Uh, sports and things. It says, Hey, Mike and Warren, new to the show came here via Warren. So thank you, Warren. Um, I appreciate that. And thank you. Sports boy, and things. That, that's our boy, Carlos. Carlos. Thank you. Welcome, Carlos. And then Dobby, the brain Heenan. Uh, so, well, Mr. Hayes in the house tonight. And then uh, our guy, J.D., James Oliva. I got so freaked out when he told me his name was actually James. I was like, dude, I thought it was J.D. on your birth certificate. My bad. But J- uh, J.D. watching at home. Uh, God bless you, J.D. We're glad you're here. Uh, and then, of course, uh, John Muse in the house. What's up, John? Um, he's probably going to shut all over my booking ideas I just had. <laughs> and then uh, Kristen Ashley. Kristen, thank you for being here. I really appreciate you. She says, hello, hello. And then uh, – we got uh, Shrey in the house. Shrey says that the heat the Young Bucks going to get going to be nuclear if they win. Absolutely. Um, and, oh, the and the discourse, the discourse, it's going yeah. to be mm. beautiful. Yeah. Jim Cornette's going to get like 10 videos out of it. <laughs> <laughs> in a day. <laughs> uh, in a day. And then JD's back says, how fitting is it the week Ole died this week? It's on Sting Week. Yes. Absolutely. Oli, who booked the absolute dirt worst um, feud uh, angle for Sting in the history of his career, I would say even worse than like some of the TNA stuff, was uh, the Black Scorpion angle that was booked by Oli. Uh, was uh, absolutely tanked his career for a little bit, and, uh, and that's a shame. But uh, yeah, rest in peace, uh, Oli Anderson. Um, I know, I know. Over on the flagship, they they did what would you say more like ninety minutes over on the flagship yeah, about, just, about just Oli. About 90 Oli. Minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm not going to give like a, a complete synopsis of his career, but um, I uh, I've been actually watching a lot of Oli lately because just randomly I found this um, 1982 Mid Atlantic um, uh, YouTube playlist. Like they just have a like a random playlist, and I think they're just like stealing content from WWE and they're just getting away with it. So kudos to you guys. So they're uh, they're uploading it, and uh, I started watching it, and like uh, they're in a feud right now. Like Oli Anderson and his tag team partner Stan Hansen. Are, are on there and then they're mm-hmm. feuding with guys like Ray Stevens and the boogie woogie man and all these other dudes in mid Atlantic at the time. And it's like, damn it. Oli can promo his ass off and, uh, and him and Stan were a hell of a tag team. Well, I mean, Oli was, I, I think Oli Anderson, we have a tendency to talk about his, his attitude and his, his outstanding booking ideas, but he, you know, he was, I, I think a lot of people would be surprised at how good a worker he was to begin with. And mm-hmm. as a promo, he's, he was tremendous. He really, really was tremendous. The, uh, yeah. uh, that was the, he was the, the heat magnet, the, the promo he cut after turning on dusty, right? The big dusty old mm-hmm. feud, right? Um, that was, that was the thing that just ignited the entire, the, this entire feud, uh, he was a tremendous promo, and he was a, a strong worker. Uh, I think a lot of people would be surprised uh, at uh, at how good he was, especially yeah, for the time. 
And I think uh, his reputation kind of clouds just kind of how really great he was. And, and like, like a lot of people, you know, pro wrestling just ended up passing him by. By the time 1990 rolls around and WCW hires him as the booker, he'd kind of like, he'd kind of lost his fastball there, you know, and it is, he probably very much wanted to get out of pro wrestling at that point anyway, but it was kind of a job to him, but uh, he, he was around for a long time. He, but you know, he was a, a big time wrestler out of Minnesota for a long time, trained with Vern Gagne. Uh, he went over, I know he was the booker for Georgia. He booked mid Atlantic um, and uh, um, he obviously booked WCW, but he had some really, really great years in, in mid Atlantic and in Georgia as like their their top booker and uh there he ran like two of the top territories at the same time for 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 a lot of his career and so he does really get he does he i think he doesn't get a ton of credit for that because i think his attitude and his failures are kind of like um have outweighed his successes in a lot of people's minds yeah i mean you know you you can go back and read some stories you know he, he was he was observably a racist, you know, on top of it all, you know, yes. like, the, the, yeah. you know, th there's a lot of stuff that, that you can attribute to, to Oli that sort of wants you sort of, that sort of tempers whatever excitement you might feel about his, his, in the, the entirety of his work. But um, it, it, coupled with the stories that you hear about how much of a, uh, of a just a bad attitude he had just about how, yeah. uh, uh, you know, just a, a nasty, grumpy, cranky old man, you know, but, but then again, you know, it, this, you know, it's pro wrestling in the eighties, right? He, mm -hmm. he was, you know, he was there for, for black Saturday, right? When the Briscoes and yeah. uh, uh, the other guy, um, was Jim it Barnett? Barnett? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, when they, when they, you know, in the cover of the night sold their, sold uh GCW, not that GCW, Georgia Championship Wrestling, to uh, to Vince McMahon without him knowing. You know, you can understand maybe how he was a little, you know, might be a little cranky, might be a little uh, a little off putting when you know he does even his business partners he can't trust them, right? I'm not trying to I'm not trying to defend the guy by any means, yeah. but you know, just trying to paint a picture as to why maybe he was like this. Uh, there's there's well, definitely examples you can point to. Well, yeah, he probably got screwed over by a lot of people. So, you know, it's a carny con man business made up of people kind of trying to screw each other over and get a leg up on their competition at all times. And so, and he was obviously caught up in that. If you guys do get an opportunity, go check out the Lapsed Fans Black Saturday series. And they do a really good job of breaking that entire thing down. You get, you get kind of a complete picture of just who Ole Anderson is because they pull out his book and they read excerpts from the book and, um, and he talks a lot about his successes and his failures. And of course he doesn't take any accountability for the failures. Um, uh, if, if right now he's probably up, you know, he, he got to the pearly gates and cuts a promo in St. Peter. He gets into heaven and says, this place is the shits. You know, he's like one of those guys. Uh, Why is this flare here? <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's probably like still saying, look, I told everybody flair sucked. He never was a draw. Hogan sucked. He could never draw. He only, I remember, uh, and I, and I want to pull this up. I think this this act absolutely encapsulates um, the a lot of um, Ole Anderson's character, and he really reminds me of my grandpa. And they're and funny thing is they're like the same age too, um, <laughs> and 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 they're and they're both and they're both gone. God rest their souls. But uh, so I, I uh, did a screen recording thing of of Ole on uh, arguing with Dave Meltzer. It's one of the greatest things. So if you just Google. Ole Anderson argues with Dave Meltzer. You'll see the you'll see the clips pop up. 
But I, I just, I wanted to play this little quick clip right here, which very much like tells you exactly who Ole Anderson is. It's hilarious. Well, so I mean, I mean, if if, if there were a thousand you know, of them, have to disagree about everything because there's more Hulk Hogan's out there than you can possibly imagine, but nobody's looking for him. How come nobody can find him? I, I, well, I who's looking for him? Well, I think that everyone in wrestling should be looking for him because God knows they need to make new stars. We all know that. I got rid of Hulk Hogan. I know you did, which okay. is an interesting thing. You, know, well, you, you think he was so good. I guess you must think I'm the dumbest guy in the world to get rid of him. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> now, that whole thing, I, think the, I think the story is that they, they, they had him on. Dave had him on. He was supposed to, he, he was supposed to sell some books, right? I think yeah. he was out there yeah. to promote his book. But he didn't even talk about his book. He just no. like he just like spent his <laughs> no. time arguing with Dave. Yeah, because he he thought he was gonna go on there and own Dave. And like, depending on who you talk to, like people that don't like Dave will say, "Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely own Dave." But then when you actually hear it, it's like in no way did that ever happen. In fact, um, and right there that clip just showed you. And I know this is like a, a kind of an out of context twenty six second clip, so you can go check it out for yourself. But um, very much, I thought Dave held his own in that argument. And uh, and him saying, "Well, I didn't say that." Like that was Dave's way of saying, "Yeah, you are an idiot because you thought that uh, Hulk Hogan could not draw." And the, so the point that that Ole was trying to make was that Hogan couldn't draw in his territory because he was too big, and uh, he he wouldn't be able to draw in the same towns every single night. But he had to go to WWE, and he had to go to like uh, he had to go to Vern with these big territories and these big cities to where they didn't see him every week. So he would, uh, he would draw better, but he was like, well, outside of, outside of, uh, um, Vince and outside of Vern, he never drew. And then Dave had the argument was like, well, actually he drew in WCW too. He's like, Oh, he did. I didn't know that. So that, that just, that just tells you exactly who, uh, who Ole Anderson is. But one of my favorite stories, um, and if you guys ever do get a chance, check out the death of the territories book too. I think that's a, a great read for all you, uh, all you wrestling historians out there, if you have not read that book, you need to go out of your way to check it out. But the scene in, uh, in the early 80s when they're at the NWA convention and uh, Ole essentially is challenging Vince McMahon. Um, he like stands up and like starts screaming and cussing at Vince. And in my head, like I want JD to write the book or I want JD to write like the television series. Like that's how, that's like the beginning of a television show. Like this big war between Ole Anderson and Vince McMahon, like the North versus the South, and Vince like this northern like mobster type guy, and like Ole's like this southern hillbilly, even though he's from Minnesota. But like in my head, that's like how you would do the series, and they're kind of fighting over these two big wrestling territories and trying to grow their business. Um, I, I I think I think that's great, and I think uh, Ole's last interaction with Vince McMahon, um, I I think will garner him a lot of respect. Um, considering what we know about Vince now and what what a lot of us have known. So here, here's a clip from like a shoot interview that Ole said, his own unique way of greeting uh, Vince and Linda McMahon. The same fucking thing. He came back a couple of weeks after that. No, it was the third week he came back. That's what it was. <laughs> and he said, I got my wife with me. I'd like you to say hello to Linda, I think her name was. I said, fuck her and fuck you. <laughs> so that's, that's Ole so Anderson good. in a nutshell. What a hero. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. And you know, you, 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 I don't have anything to add really. Like the, the, that's pretty much it. But you did talk about the, uh, the Tim Hornbaker book, right? Yeah. Death of the, the Territories, you said for wrestling historians. 
I think any this is required reading for any modern wrestling fan who just need that you just need to understand where all this stuff comes from. When Triple H says that WWF, WWE, you know, brought wrestling out of the smoky bars and whatnot. No, no, no. You, you there, there's stuff you the that every wrestling fan should understand. It's a tremendous book. It's a great read. It's a great historical perspective on how wrestling existed and how it thrived and ultimately how you know wwe did more harm than good so it's it's really required reading honestly yeah yeah i i agree everybody go check everybody go check that book out uh we got some we got some more sad news um our, our man virgil uh soul train mike jones uh, he died uh, was it yes i think it was yesterday yeah he died i think he passed away yesterday um and you know he as a kid, he was a big star to me as like the the million dollar man's kind of his uh, his servant uh, deal. And then I thought the big heel, the big turn that he did against Million Dollar Man was was pretty cool. Uh, he never really did much after that. I know he was in the NWO for a while. Uh, everything about him was kind of like just petty spoofs, as Dave was talking about on Wrestling Observer Radio. But um, I, I think he'll always be remembered not only for his run with the Million Dollar Man, but for him kind of being like a a modern carny just setting up shop anywhere, anywhere there might be wrestling fans and uh, selling autographs. And, and, and to that, I say respect to you, sir. And rest in peace, uh, Mike Jones, AKA Virgil. You got to respect the hustle. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, this is a guy, you know, I, you don't want to speak ill of the dead, but facts are facts. Yeah. He was not a good pro wrestler. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but the role that he had, like, you know, me and myself as a kid, you know, I, I, I don't know what our age gap is between the two of us, but it's the same thing. Virgil, the 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 when the turn happened on on Ted DiBiase, it was the biggest thing in, in, in the company. Like this, the, he immediately became red hot. This is something that had been simmering practically from the moment he was introduced, uh, and when it finally happened, I mean, you still have the you you, you still have those feelings. Uh, it, uh, imprinted in you you know it's like you know from the day uh virgil decided to to move on and uh and he was a big deal for a while very short while but he was you know the yeah. he, you know eventually you know he he shows up you know in the royal rumble because they need 30 30 guys and that's pretty much it and he does he does the jump to wcw um becomes vincent and that was not a mistake i don't know if <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I don't yeah. know if everyone knows the story, but they'd called him Virgil or Vince had called him Virgil in WWE because uh, that's a Dusty uh, Dusty's real name. His name was mm -hmm. Virgil. So then when he shipped over to WWE uh, to to WCW, started calling him Vincent. So, you know, ribs I, upon ribs. I Good and good for him getting a job just to pull a rib on Vince McMahon. He probably got paid like years <laughs> a year. Just, just, just because you know Hogan and Bischoff were being petty, and I think that's tremendous. But he came in like he honestly he came in to to be the job guy, right? Because look, yeah. when you think about the guys who were in there at the time, you had the original three, like you know Nash and Hogan. They're not, they, you know, they're not they're not jobbing to just about anyone. They had uh, Sean Waltman in there at the time too, right? DiBiase was there. That was yeah, the Giant too, right? Mm -hmm. All guys that well maybe you know, but you know, Waltman was the NWO cruiserweight guy, right? Yeah. All guys that 
didn't necessarily want to be taken falls. You know, they're, they're names, they're, they're stars. They've got their egos. So, you know, they're, you know, it's the continuation. It's the logical continuation of the Virgil bodyguard thing where he just takes the bumps for, for the stars. That's all he needed to do. That was, that was his role and good for him. Yeah. 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 Good for him. He, and he parlayed that into a lot of paydays like the rest of his life. I, I actually, um, Actually, he was on a lot of pay-per-views, man. He was on a lot yeah. of pay-per-views. Yeah, he was. He, and he was around for a while. And if you think about it, he was at in WWF at their peak, right? Before the Attitude Era. So like the pre-Attitude Era peak. You're talking like late 80s, early 90s. I think they kind of finished him off like with that Yokozuna angle where Yokozuna murdered him. And um, and like he was like telling Brett, you know, stay away from that man, Brett. Like I remember that angle like it was yesterday. All right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, I remember that now. Okay. Like, you know, then he was in the peak WCW. So he was in like, like two different, like very successful eras. And he, not really like a top character, but he was like a character in, in two, in two major uh, eras. Now I, I did get a chance to meet Virgil. Uh, he, yeah, he came to Japan. I want to say in 2006 when I was stationed there and on a USO tour. So they actually had like a wrestling show on the base there at Yokota Air Base, Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, him. Disco Inferno and uh, screaming Norman Smiley himself, Black Magic. <laughs> but he was like, cool, like screaming Norman gimmick, you know, because they he hadn't uh, he hadn't went to go be a trainer in WWE yet. So right. um, they they all came out, and I just remember like they had like the picture line uh, where they were like they had like photos made up, and they didn't charge anything because it was all military. So like the USO took care of everything, so everybody got a picture with a wrestler. You and you got like uh, they had like a a photo with all of the wrestlers pictures on it. And then the wrestlers would just sign by their, like their, their headshot. Right. That was on like the one photo that you would get. Okay. So I remember he was like first in line and I was a heavy drinker back then. And I had like a yard of beer, right? It's so, like a three foot tall, like beer glass. Right. And it was just like filled with beer. And it was like, uh, it was like wrapped around my neck. I had like a lanyard and I remember going up to him and he's like, Hey, uh, Hey sir, would you mind putting that beer down? I don't want to be photographed with people drinking. And I was just like, this is Virgil, right? <laughs> In my head, I was like, yes, yes, sir. So I hand I hand my beer to my friend and I actually take the picture and he couldn't have been a nicer guy. And then I go down the line and like Norman Smiley signing and like they had some indie guys who I didn't know who they were. I don't think they ever made it. Like they were signing stuff. And I get down to the ed- end of the line at Disco and he's just like reading a magazine. And he looks up at me, he's like, hey man. And then just signs it. And then he's like, next. And I was like, he was such a dick to me. I was like, what the hell? But Virgil... Like of all people was like the nicest guy in that whole line. I thought he was fantastic. Uh, testament to both guys, really. It just yeah. makes it makes perfect sense. <laughs> the, the disco would just like you know give you a side glance and like, all right, hey, how you doing? Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah that was essentially what he did. Um, and you know, l- lastly on the on the RIP section of, uh, of the podcast, and I hope to not do too many of these, but. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, JD and I, we were recording overtime, and I think we were getting ready to do the Dangerous Alliance podcast that we were doing. And um, But before that, like right before we were about to go on air, Rossi Ogawa got fired from stardom. And um, right after Rossi got fired, Tony Khan um, took to Twitter and was like making fun of Rossi. And he posted a gif of Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David and Richard Lewis. So I go on and I pull up the GIF because we're that's how we do it. Like I pull up the tweet 
And it says, and I said, and here's Tony Khan making fun of Rossi using a gif of Larry David and the late great Richard Lewis. Now this was a few weeks ago. And JD goes, Richard Lewis is dead. And I go, I, I think so. I was like, hold on shit. Let me look that up. So I, I, I go online and I was like, oh shit, no, it, it wasn't him. And we just start laughing our ass like we're howling at this point. It's like, cause Mike's basically cause I'm an idiot. Um, and then what, so what happened was, and like, I clipped it for YouTube. I'm not going to share it right now because I think it's kind of, kind of, kind of scummy to do that, to, to, to watch it again. But, um, uh, what happened, like I didn't clip this part, but like the longer version of that clip was, uh, I had come to the conclusion that I got him mixed up with Richard Belzer. Those are comedians from like the same era. They're from the right. East coast. You know, they did Howard Stern a lot back in the day, both guys. But I, I know that they're completely different people, but I just got them mixed up in the moment. Right. And uh, so we had a good laugh about that. And, uh, you know, I, I felt kind of bad about it. And then of course, of course uh, the man had to go ahead and, uh, and, and die. I think he, he died today. Didn't he? Was it today or yesterday? I can't remember. I think it was last it, night. Yeah. I think it was yesterday. It was on, it was the same day as Virgil. It was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was it was yesterday. So, uh, you know, I got a little bit of egg on my face, but I, I, I do got to say um, he was a brilliant comedian. I, I really was a fan of his and I, I really liked watching his uh, stand up back in the day. And I always had a like a, a really fun time watching him on on the late night shows he did. Um, he did Leno a lot when I was a kid and he was always on the Howard Stern show. And that's kind of probably where like my best frame of reference for his comedy is. And then of course he was in, um, he was in Robin Hood men of tights and uh, I just loved his performance in that movie. So I just want to give a, a shout out to, you know, rest in peace, Richard Lewis, a, a comedic genius. Um, I didn't know that he had Parkinson's disease when I said that. So uh, also it kind of makes me look like a scumbag, but that was not intentional clearly. So it was just kind of a, a funny accident, but uh, yeah, just a rest in peace uh, to the, to the man, the King of pain himself, Richard Lewis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, 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 I was a big fan as well. I, I you know, I like the, the neurotic aspect of this comedy, which was, you know, not, you know, that, that, that was, that was very fresh. Uh, yeah, yeah. I look up here in Canada, we didn't get Stern. So there was no way for me to, 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 to get that kind of exposure, but he was, he had a sitcom. Uh, he, well, he had a couple, but he had one with Jamie Lee Curtis it was called really? uh, yeah that was called anything but love and she was a a a a, a fresh new, freshly divorcee uh rebuilding her life going to moving to chicago and she's on a plane with this this neurotic columnist for whatever paper or magazine you know and he, and she wants to be a writer so she helps him he helps her get a job at his uh, publication and uh, it just so happens that they decide that you know they share an apartment he says well, well, whatever and um and i my you know my memory doesn't tell me that this was hilarious or great <laughs> you know like i don't i like nothing nothing sticks but um but nonetheless, like I, I, I saw, you know, how he would deliver, how he, he would perform. And I thought that was that was a lot of fun. And looking back, you're like, Jesus, this is with Jamie Lee Curtis on top of that. Couldn't have been that bad, right? You'd have to yeah. dig those up somewhere. It might be worth like a, another look because he was he's one of those guys that's a little bit ahead of his time. 
And mm-hmm. I think he he actually found like the perfect role for him in Curb Your, Enth- in Curb Your Enthusiasm. So like it just took a long time for him to get there. Not that he wasn't a big comedian because he really was like in the late 80s, early 90s, like Richard Lewis was a very big comedian. Him and, you know, Belzer and, uh, you know, Richard Jenny and and Sam Kinison and all those guys from that era, they, they were they were huge and selling out, you know, big shows. So, um, Carlin, yeah, he, you know, yeah. Lily Tomlin. And, and, you know, I think one of the, one of his trademarks was making fun of his sexual exploits, how he would yeah. underperform in bed when yeah. everyone else was doing the exact opposite. You know, he was like, right. no, I, I, I tried and it didn't work. And <laughs> yeah. Cause like Eddie Murphy was like the complete opposite where he was like, kind of yeah. like bragging about how great he was and all that. And then here you got, <laughs> you got uh, Richard Lewis, the complete opposite. So, uh, yeah, uh, rest in peace, Richard Lewis. Um, funny, funny guy. Uh, sorry to see him go, but uh, look, we got we got some more news here. Let's um, let's go ahead and get into. Should we get into Maxine Dupree? Oh God, um, yes. Yeah. Okay. So Maxine Dupree. I'm not gonna play. I'm not gonna play the clip. I, I was gonna play it, but I I was like, I just don't think it's worth it. But so she 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 had a match at a house show over the weekend. And um, everybody was like booing her because the match just wasn't very good. And um, which is pretty typical behavior in a pro wrestling show. Like that's pretty typical behavior in like sports in general, right? Like, you know, rookies go on the field and they fumble the football. Um, They get heat for that. Right. I like to this day, I have a resentment against Kyle Williams from the 49ers from a fumble that he had in the NFC championship game against the giants like 20 years ago. Like I, 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 I get it. So like this is, show business is a tough business and you're going to get heckled, right? So if you're in comedy, if it's music, it's acting, it's pro wrestling. Um, but to her credit, I haven't actually seen her complain about it. It's just some of her peers are kind of coming to her, her defense a little bit, but I'm like, I, I think if you walk through this and you know, you're able to, you know, use it as fuel for you, you might actually get better. I would say embrace this moment and, and, let it feed you and fuel you to go stick it in their face next time. Sorry, I got a little tangent. No, no, that's fine. That, that, but that, that, look, I, I think that if Rhea Ripley and the rest did not come to her defense, yeah. th- we wouldn't be talking about this. This would have been like some Twitter rando, you know, d- d- deciding to go down the positivity train and saying, hey, can, can we all just get along? You know, you're like, all right, whatever, you know. Um, but the 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 fact is that this is the thing that the you know Rhea Ripley was going out there. I, I didn't see anyone else, any of her, any other wrestlers come to to, to Dupree's defense. But, but I saw I, I saw the, the 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 Rhea Ripley one, and what did she do? She blamed the fans. Did yeah. you know? Which is the tried and true WWE formula. We've seen it employed by the likes of Seth Rollins in the past and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Like, this is nothing new. Triple H with his me and my friend Mark. Like, this is not new. This is the, it's the fan's fault if this is happening, right? When in in reality, we could be pointing the finger at the company for putting this woman who has, from what I understand at, at that time, had 13 professional wrestling matches in her entire wrestling career. She had not wrestled a single wrestling match before being hired by WWE. Now we're we're tossing her out there. We're expecting her to perform. When you have a performance center where you could yeah. be sending this woman to train, you have an entire developmental brand. 
to make sure that she gets her that she gets her reps and that she's able to to improve on her time and get paid to work out, you know, to do the classes and whatnot. Instead, they're just throwing her in, into the deep end, right? Yeah. And there's there's a lot of fault, a lot of fault to be put upon the company. Now, that being said, I want to make this very clear. Maxine Dupree stinks. She has no instincts. She doesn't get it. I watched one of her matches a couple of weeks ago where she's she's doing one of these, right? And she's bouncing back and forth like, like she's supposed to be a fighter, right? And But she has no footwork. She's literally just hopping forward and backward. She's got nothing. She doesn't even have the instincts to do this. You can compare her to, you know, young kids coming up on the indies or in, or in AEW, but at some point, even if they're green as grass, you're able to see, you're able to see, right, Mike? You're able mm-hmm. to see. Oh, well, they got something there. Ah, oh, they're they, you know, they they may not be a polished product, but ah, oh, there there's there's something to mold here. You can feel it. This woman has nothing. She can't even talk. She's got nothing to give. And again, this is the company's problem because if they had put her in the PC and have her do some reps, they would have realized that she has nothing and would have kept her off TV in the first place. Yeah, because when they when they brought her up, she was just a manager, right? So she never really had like a run where she was doing matches. Because, you know, at the PC, don't they do some like towns in like Florida, like kind of do like a, whatever it is, like a loop in Florida? She never yeah. really got an opportunity to do that. They brought her immediately right up to, to be with the maximum male models. And that whole thing didn't work out. And now they're trying to, you know, just throw her into the deep end. And that's just not, that's just not fair to her. It's you not know, cool. She, you know, Honestly, it, it's it, not cool. It's not it's not cool. I'm not, I'm not going to blame the people in the audience. As long as you're not saying sex, anything sexist, racist, homophobic, you know, any, anything like that, I, I would say it's fair game. And if you think that, that a person stinks, you should be able to say it. Um, you know, there, there's a way to do it. You know, you don't have to be like completely rude. Right. I, I, I think we're past the days of die, Rocky die, but, uh, but look, look at, look at what happened to the rock after that. Right. He used that as fuel and he, he ended up getting better. I, I think they, I, th- I think that, you know, they were trying to put her in the, the big arena shows and she's just not ready yet. And th- and that's what happened. And now she's got a, a bunch of people coming to her defense. Um, and, and I get why you would want to protect one of your coworkers, right? Like that's like your friend and, and maybe their feelings are hurt. And you want to come to their defense, but really you should be pointing the finger elsewhere. And it's probably the, the people that put her in that position in the first place. Then why, why would you, why do you go after the fans? This is always a weird ass strategy. Don't go after the yeah. fans. It's, it's, so, it's so stupid and every single time. And look, she's not ready. She had three spots in the Royal rumble. Mike, she blew all three. Like she's just, there's, she's not supposed to be doing this. Yeah. It's not even a question of, Oh, well, I don't think she has it. I don't think she she has the stuff to be a pro wrestler to begin with. And and look, if I'm paying, look, the house shows, the house shows aren't 20 bucks. WWE house shows aren't $20. There, you know, a house show came to my town of, uh, in August last year. And I was looking at the ticket prices. They're not as crazy as tapings, but they're high up there. If I'm sitting there, if I paid, you know, I'm at a wrestling show. I paid to see a show and I think someone something stinks. I'm gonna boo it. I paid yeah. this ticket and I and I'm, I, I'm and I'm being given stuff that is underwhelming, that is underperforming. Yeah, I'm gonna let you know that this is awful. Don't because I don't want you to do it again. 
Yeah. That's yeah. Really I've seen it. Works. I've seen it at comedy shows and I've seen it at, uh, at you know, at concerts, you know, where like, like the big band will come in and like they will bring in like a few of the of like the local bands to 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 warm up the crowd before the the major band comes into town and sometimes those bands stink and they're just not ready to be playing in front of an audience like that they they freeze up in the moment or maybe they're just not good at all right and th- and that Dude, and that happens but you got to be prepared I, for that moment for real I, look I've done improv you know not with Cold Cabana mind you but I've done improv <laughs> <laughs> I mean it, that's the kind of it's the kind of thing that inevitably happens, you know? Yeah. It just, it just happens. You just have to deal with it. You roll with it. You, you learn from it, but you don't go, eh, don't boo. Every fans are weird. Fan, 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 wrestling fans are weird, particularly on Twitter. It's, yeah. it's bizarre to me. Yeah. All right. Let's go. Let's go rapid fire. Cause I really do want to get to sting versus Hogan. Um, so, um, this one was, this one really shocked me, Warren. Uh, it turns out Matt Riddle was doing cocaine while he was in WWE. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? Honestly, it would shock me if he wasn't doing cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that would have been the story. I tested positive. I tested negative yeah. for cocaine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what, what else is there to say? You know, like- yeah. Well, water is wet and the sky is blue. Um, uh, and this came out earlier in the week. It's something we've been covered for a long time. We're glad that it's over. Um, the number finally got released from MLW's lawsuit against WWE because uh, WWE was uh, uh, guilty of tortious interference and tampering and, and all the other shady things that they were doing. Um, MLW was awarded $20 million, which is far more than what that company is worth. Man, that is a good haul for old Court Bauer. No wonder Kojima is the champion. And then tonight on their show, they had Mystico versus Rocky Romero, like as one of their top uh, their top matches. Yeah, they, they, this was settled in December, right? And then all of a yeah. sudden, they're they're getting you know. Then all of a sudden, like, like you said, you know, you, you got the CMLL guys coming in. You got uh, you've got Kojima coming in. Oh, this is why. Um, will they be able to continue investing in talent moving forward? I hope so. But uh, I, I kind of feel I look. I don't know. I, MLW is one of these wrestling companies that I don't know how they make money. I really don't understand how they're still afloat. I don't get it. I, I really fund. don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I think Court's got family money. Um, Probably, you know. But yeah. l- listen, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me. I feel like they needed this. Good for them, I guess. Hey, good, good for them. They got one over on the WWE. So hey, that's a win for everybody. Um, speaking of not making any money, uh, TNA uh, looks like they might be going live eventually. At least that was what the Scott Deno Moore was uh, was planning before he got out. <laughs> but uh, but Dave, Dave brought it up on Wrestling Observer Radio earlier this week, and it looks like they that might actually still be in play. Um, TNA possibly moving to uh, Full Sail University, which is where NXT used to record. And the 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 whole the whole live thing just doesn't really make any sense to me whatsoever. Like I could see them going back to like Orlando, like the Impact Zone or Full Sail or whatever, and and doing their tapings there because I, I I think I think that since they left there, um, like the show, like the production quality has gotten a lot worse because they're on the road. It costs extra money to dra- drag all that equipment mm-hmm. around. I, I could see them actually going back there. And I always thought that the NXT from Full Sail was always really good. So, like, as long as you put good stuff in front of that audience, they're going to be excited for it. So I, that that makes sense to me. But them going live every single week makes absolutely no sense to me. It doesn't make yeah, especially especially when you consider that NXT back in the day, 
was taped. They, they, they taped a full month's worth of stuff and, uh, and then went with it. Um, no, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, you're raising your, uh, you're raising your, uh, your costs rather exponentially. Uh, probably the wrestlers would be excited about it because they don't have to travel. They can just like hunker in, yeah. for, you know, hunker in and, uh, you know, buy a condo, or, you know, whatever. Well, um, and a lot of those, a lot of those guys are on like per date deals, and so what you're doing is you're doubling their amount of dates. So yeah, they would be really excited, but you're also doubling the cost. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, like I, I, I don't understand what they're what what they're doing. I, I kind of feel like it's a, it's a situation where they see WWE, they see AEW, and they're saying, and they're going like, hey, we can do the live thing too. You know, yeah. networks like the live thing. The, the the for the media rights, everyone likes the live aspect. Well, we can do live as well. I I think it's a me too kind of situation. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally feel you. Um, but um, I have some TNA fans in the chat, especially my my buddy uh, IO uh, IO Productions. Shout out IO. Um, so there was this rumor going around that um, when Scott Demore got fired, that this new guy Anthony uh, Ciccioni, Anthony Chonchon, as I like to call him was coming in to like slash the budget and um well them still thinking about going live them returning to the palms them offering jo or josh alexander a new contract that would uh, obviously be more than what he's making now and the fact that they just signed alexander hammerstone and they they made that announcement tonight doesn't that kind of throw a little bit of cold water on the fact that that, that they might be slashing their budget dramatically which is what we were led to believe in the beginning um i think we have look if I'm talent, I'm 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 worried at all of this, you know, because yeah, just because they're just because they're look re-upping Josh Alexander, who is quite arguably their most valuable uh, yeah. asset as far as talent goes, in in my opinion, uh, that makes sense. You make this is the kind of guy that you make room in your budget for to 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 hang on to. Uh, bringing Hammerstone in, look Hammerstone. Good for him. Like he's, yeah. he looks like a star. He's tremendous. He's you know, look. There, there's a lot of good things out of this signing. I think he's going to be a great fit in TNA. Um, I would, if if I'm on the lower end of the card, I'm a little worried about the status of my contract. You know, that's that's what I'm kind of a little antsy on. If they're talking about doing all these expendix these expenditures on production. And then bringing in this, you know, new guys. And let's not forget Mustafa Ali is around as well. And he's mm -hmm. not working for cheap. Um, no. That's, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, man, if within the next couple of months, there's uh, there's a, a roster purge that happens in TNA. I, re I really wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And, and I think I've seen some people say that maybe with like uh, contracts expiring, like they would just kind of let people go through attrition. Because they, they, they do have like a lot of like middle-aged wwe fired talent on their roster like big con and dirty dango and uh you know rhino's still there like i i could see guys like that like uh kind of exiting the company because i think that you could easily replace them with cheaper indie talent like sure. and and i think that would be smart anyway get rid of those guys anyway and bring in like younger hungry more affordable talent that's you know more budget friendly for you i think that would just be a good idea i think a lot of those people were just friends with scott demore so he's keeping them around you know yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, there, there's, there's, um, there, I, I, you know, 
do we use the term redundancy when it comes to these types of talents or what? Because yeah. I feel like there is, you know, there is redundancy. Yeah. Um, I don't think everyone's going to have a job by the end of the year in TNA. I really don't. Yeah. Um, uh, so lastly, uh, CMLL visa issues. I am very disappointed in this story. You know, there's like, I think like, you know, whatever, 15, 16 guys from CMLL, they got their visas canceled. Um, I was really hoping that this was Conan. Like that would just, that would, that would just be like my Christmas. Like Conan finally got one over on CMLL and uh, got some revenge against AEW for like a lot of the heat that's there. But as it turns out, it's a different indie promoter in, uh, in, in, uh, in Texas. And it's actually CMLL saying, no guys, don't worry. We got this. We don't need your help. And it uh, seems like CMLL is actually the ones that screwed this whole thing up. Yeah. Yeah. See, from, from what, uh, from what Cubs fan is reporting, uh, CMLL absolutely screwed the pooch on this one. Like, there's no, yeah. there's no other way to like the, the 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 guy was receiving calls from Homeland Security and saying, "Well, you know, there's there's a potential for fraud here if you go through through with this." It's like, okay, then never mind. You know, I'm like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, uh, I'm not going to bat for this. Uh, but it, it's a shame because uh, this is a process that could take a while. Uh, it's yeah. a lot. It puts WrestleMania week up in the air for all of. Uh, for all of the the shows that had contracted CMLL talent, uh, you know, Forbidden Door is uh, is in question as well. The appearances for New Japan Strong, so yeah, it, it, it just sucks. But they could all con- they could all come to Canada though. We don't care yeah. about these work yeah. visas. You, you can could come up here and work. Absolutely. And you can basically work there as long as you want, essentially. So you don't have to go go. cut through all the red tape. It's really hard to get across the border there in Canada. Uh, Maybe if you're just an American, but like if you're coming from other places, like you're probably, you're, 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 you're probably, uh, you're probably just fine. All right. So uh, thanks guys for watching the news portion of the show. We're going to get over to our sting and Hogan coverage, but before I do, I want to go back to the chat really quick. Uh, King of the North says, uh, please clip uh, Mike saying, speaking of not making money, <laughs> trust me, brother, I already had that one planned like that. That's definitely happening. Um, I, I think I was talking about um, TNA. TNA made some money. Um, I can't I don't see where it was at in the chat. But yeah, so so TNA did make some money off of the hard to kill show. I mean, they had 30,000 pay-per-view buys and they had their their the their most ticket sales they've had in like 10 years. I would. And their budget's not that big. I would assume that they made some money off of that deal. I, uh, I would assume it's not all just gross. They probably have some net profit there too, considering how how many pay per views they did. Um, Adam Coral, much love from Pennsylvania. Um, and then uh, Io says, focus on buying talent and new equipment. Yeah, that'd be nice. And then he says he wants Jacob Fatu, who I think Jacob Fatu is going to WWE. Uh, he just seems like he's a fit there with this whole bloodline story now. Now Tama Tonga. Is going there? Oh, that is right. I, f- dude, I forgot to make fun of myself. My bad. My bad, guys. Um, so I, dude, did you see me go viral this week? Are you even on Twitter anymore? No, I'm. I, I'm done with Twitter. Yeah. So you, you kind of, you totally like axed your whole Twitter account, right? Because uh, it is a pretty scummy company. But I just, I just don't like new things. And so whenever I got the blue sky code, I just never activated it because I was like, I was like, I've been on Twitter since 2009. I just fear change. <laughs> well, there you go. No, no, I, but uh, no, I, you know, I, I, I'm off of Twitter, but Twitter things keep popping up. But no, I did not see uh, see you going viral about Tama Tonga on top of that. 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Wrestling Observer um, website, they posted uh, basically a story that Tama Tonga has signed with uh, as WWE. At least he's on his way to WWE. And uh, I, I quote tweeted that and I said, suck it, Tony Khan. And a lot of people thought that was a serious post by me. Like I was like I was owning Tony Khan. And I, I got like, what? I want to say, I want to say, let me, let me, uh, hold on. Let me see here. I want to say I got like um, 200 quote tweets. Like, boy, they were dragging me pretty bad. And people are like, I even had some people like uh, coming to my defense. I was like, hold on guys. Let, let, let this play out. Let's, let's see how uh, this engagement. I, Cause I just, I just started like linking my podcast. <laughs> so I started just like linking the YouTube channel. I was like, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's see how, where this goes. But I'll, I'll show, I'll show you guys. So, yeah. So it was just a story about Tama Tonga. I said, uh, suck it, Tony Khan. And this thing got 105, uh, looks like quote tweets, um, and 192,000 views and 75 replies. And a lot of people are dragging me. Let's, should we go to the quote tweets? Let's see what some of these geniuses uh, stated here. How, how many people told you rents due? Yeah, I think, I think even people like, yeah, people are like bookmarking it. And then I think some people said that, uh, you know, they, they do the whole lame, like, uh, Tony's in your head rent free type of thing. You know, that's the line. So I think you have, um, you have to click on view post engagements now. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, and, and I don't use the platform anymore. <laughs> yeah. So Tony Khan call an ambulance. Uh, let's see. Oh no. How can AEW and Tony Khan handle WWE retrieving Tama Tonga? If only they had top tier. Uh, dude, that's the joke, bro. That, that is the joke. <laughs> thank you. Ibu for coming to my aid. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, just a lot, a lot, a lot of people like this was just going on and on and on. So, uh, guys, you guys, you guys all got worked and I wasn't even trying to work anybody. That was just me making myself and like three other people laugh. And like, for some reason it just kind of blew up. I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but all right, guys, uh, we're going to, we're going to get to Hogan and uh, sting, uh, 1997. And so, um, I, you know, I want to start off. So I was, I was like a big surfer sting guy back in the day. Um, like that, that was, that was, that was my dude. And, um, so Hogan comes in in 1994, right. And mm -hmm. he basically replaces sting as the top baby face. Like, I know like, like at the moment, like Ric Flair was the top baby face, but Ric Flair was always going to go back heel and sting was never going to go heel. So he comes in in 94, he replaces sting as the top baby face. And then Macho Man Randy Savage gets signed. And so now Sting's like number three. And then, and then like a year later, like Luger comes in, right? And uh, and so they, they lead into the Bash at the Beach with Kevin Ash and Scott Hall. And they're doing the whole NWO angle. And, you know, Sting was kind of like their backup plan if like Hogan didn't want to do it. And Hogan ends up doing it. But I, I just thought that the whole storyline was just tremendous. I, uh, like an amazing job. I, you know, got, got to give the guy credit, Bischoff and, and Nash and Hall and all those guys. Um, for picking Sting to be the vigilante, because I would say this is the his transition from Surfer Sting to the Crow Sting is the greatest character transition that I've ever seen in the history of pro wrestling. Like I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Like outside of like a guy leaving a territory and going to get a mask and coming back, you know what I mean? Like like this guy was in the same territory, puts on different face paint, and now he's a completely different character. He's wearing different like a different like costume and the whole deal. Um, just him becoming like vigilante dark night sting hanging in the rafters uh, and previously being surfer sting is like the greatest thing I've ever seen in wrestling. 
It, the, the 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 differentiation was so stark, right? Like you said, you know, you know he goes from, you know, the, the the colored face paint and the 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 crew cut, the ble the bleach blonde crew cut to to you know what a lot of people associate Sting as, right? To begin with, right? A lot of people will just think of that immediately, uh, and um, and I mean, it was it was perfectly well done. And I don't think it would have been as, as successful if the the core of the NWO wasn't so despised, you know, and mm. and, and hated. Because there was there was a there's there was a legitimate contingent of wrestling fans who really hated the NWO and just yeah. for what it it was bringing to the business and what it represented, even though it was a stroke of genius. Um, and yeah, kudos to them realizing we need a hero. We need someone that the people will be able to relate to, that they'll be able to get behind, to try and topple the the NWO. And I don't know how early or this was thought in the process of the NWO, but it, it, it had been a while. They were starting to talk about you know NWO was going to take over. The, you know they you know you you remember they were buying uh, uh, airtime on WCW. You remember all this stuff. Oh yeah. Um, and, and and they were talking early on about we're we're taking over we're taking over WCW it's going to be our place. I feel like the seeds were sown very early in the process. Were they just there and thinking, well, we'll figure something out early. We'll figure something out down down the line, which is entirely plausible. Or did they already have the plan of it's going to be Sting, right? And then yeah. it, isn't it Scott Hall who came up with the crow idea? I think he's credited yeah. for that, right? He is credited for that. And, and kudos to him for that. He's like the, the famous line is like uh, Scott Hall tells Sting, he goes, have you ever seen the crow? And of course, Sting is not going to watch the crow. And he's like, look, look, look at the, look at the crow. And uh, speaking of which they're doing a remake of the crow. Can we just not like, seriously, are we, are we going to do, like grunge crow was cool, but do we need emo crow? Like I, I we just had emo Batman with the guy from Twilight. I don't think we need this uh, <laughs> this new crow. But anyway, so um, yeah, he he says, you know, look at the crow, look at the makeup, and he goes, look, I'm not telling you to rip off Taker, but but rip off Taker. And <laughs> I don't think I never really looked at it as kind of like a rip off. They were darker characters, but I I didn't think he was ripping off like the Undertaker. Very much was ripping off was ripping off the crow. Um, but I I thought. I thought it was so awesome because not only did he not identify with the NWO, right? But WCW, he felt had turned their back on him mm -hmm. because the NWO had a commissioned a, they hired a fake sting, a guy with sting makeup. And it wasn't Barry Windham this time. It was like, I think the guy, he went by Cobra right back in the day. So right. like they got the Cobra who kind of looked a little bit like him and to do an attack on WCW talent. And then so WCW thinks that like, sting is the guy and he's like guys i've i've been here carrying the torch for this company you hired this hulk hogan idiot who Ole anderson knows is the shits um and <laughs> to, to replace me and randy savage comes in knocks me down another peg and then now you guys are you know you guys are believing that i have turned my back on wcw well screw this noise i'm gonna go paint my face a different color and hang out in the rafters and uh, you guys can all eat shit no no it, it... And, and, and it's funny when you consider how it all ultimately played out, you know, WCW turned their back on him again, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, yeah. But uh, no, it, it, the, the, the transition was, the, the, the transition was tremendous. 
and it got people excited. And honestly, like it, it, it kept breathing life into it, it did two things. It kept breathing life into the NWO shtick because, you know, one could easily argue that once the 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 once the sting angle was done, things started to spiral and it just, you know, yeah. it started getting really heavy handed and it kept Hulk Hogan relevant as the world champion. So Hogan was pretty happy about that for sure, right? Because of course everyone wanted to see Sting beat Hogan. You didn't want another WCW World Champion. You didn't want Roddy Piper. You didn't want Kevin Nash. You didn't want anyone else. You wanted you wanted Hogan to hang on to that belt until Sting was ready to come and kick his face in. Yeah, and I I just love the mystery around him because there for a little bit of time, at least at least in like '96, like. It, like late night, like from like the summer of 96 all the way to the end of 96, you didn't really know exactly which way Sting was going because he would come down from the rafters. And I remember specifically, like he attacked like Rick Steiner, who was like a WCW babyface. And then he attacked, I think he attacked Jeff Jarrett, which I think everybody's like, okay, yeah, you should attack Jeff Jarrett. But, uh, <laughs> but because Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Jarrett, I think just at any time you should attack Jeff Jarrett. But like sure. you know, he he had attacked him, and then like there was a little bit of a there's a little bit of a feud there. They never, but they they didn't have him wrestle. He just kind of just stuck up in the rafters, just being mysterious like all the time, and you never really knew where he was leaning until like that final like, until like finally that moment hit where he comes down from the rafters and and attacks the NWO, and the place just went insane. And they and he takes out everyone right on not yeah. only. He he takes out everyone and but it was it was perfectly built, you know, like, well, I don't know if it was perfectly built because it was really it it got really long. They stretched it out a lot, you know, OK, he's in the rafters again. But once things started to heat up, it it, it really got interesting. Um, he um, as it's as it stands, you know, I, I think inevitably it was. You're right, there was the aura of mystery, but I think inevitably you kind of saw where this was going nonetheless. He was going to be the protagonist. He was going to be, Hulk Hogan was going to be the the antagonist here. We were heading towards this showdown inevitably, um, which didn't diminish, but that's the beauty of it is that it didn't diminish the moment where he came down and just uh, cleaned house. Because yeah, the, the place exploded. Look, Everyone loved Sting at that period. Like it, w- it was just insane. Everyone was wearing uh, makeup. Little kids had Sting masks. Like it was just everyone. Even people doing sending their Nitro Party videos. <laughs> Did you ever do were- that? Oh hell no. Okay. It's like I, I, I probably because I did have some of those, and I probably would have, but yeah, you know, I was like super poor, and like there was usually only like one family in the neighborhood back then that had like a video camera in like the mid nineties. So, like we, we just, we just, we, we just couldn't do that. But, uh, but yeah, so he was like super, super popular with this new gimmick, but he never wrestled, and I think that's no. like part. That was like part of the brilliance, like. He from I want to say from like July '96 to to December 1997 he didn't have one single match, Mm-mm. and and he got the the longer he didn't wrestle the more over he got and the less he and he didn't talk the entire time, which he was didn't another say a word on top of it yeah, yeah yeah and like even 
like he he didn't say a word even whenever he came down like a jj dylan right and this was like now we're like fast forwarding we'll just ping pong around we'll just talk about it so i did i did have like a timeline set to go but i'm just too excited sorry but like so like even in in like 1997 right like before they get to the they start their build for starcade you know, J.J. Dillon is in the ring with uh, Mean Gene Oakland, and he's like, you know, we, we need an answer, Sting. Like, what do you want? What is it that you want? You keep attacking our people. You're attacking NWO. Nobody knows what the hell you want. What what exactly do you want? What do you want from me? What do you want from everybody? And then he he doesn't come from the rafters. He actually just comes from the crowd, kind of like what John Moxley is doing now. And, like, people just see him. And the first moment they see him walking down the steps, the place just and erupts like you guys like go back and google this guys it's on youtube i, I was watching it earlier i had, like there's like a playlist of the whole thing and i was watching i was like god dang they, they just explode and he comes down and i remember this like it was yesterday um he doesn't say a single word he just grabs his bat and like he grabs jj and he grabs his bat with the other hand and then he points to a sign in the crowd that said sting wants hogan and then jj and mean gene look at it and they sell for it of course like oh my well what he wants hogan like they're like like aghast that that's what he wants. Like, of course, that's what he wants, you idiot. But like, he points and like the crowd starts going crazy, saying, Sting wants Hogan, Sting wants Hogan. And then, like, he's pointing, there's like other signs in the crowd, which, if they planted those signs, like, kudos to you guys. Great I, work. It, 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 it got me. But like, the, the longer he didn't talk, he never said anything. He points to a sign and boom, you got a pay per view. It's just fantastic. Uh, and I mean, again, it's all the. It's all stuff you knew was going to happen, but the execution was really, really well done. And like you said, he didn't he didn't even have to say a word. He didn't he didn't have to add anything. Uh, he just pointed at the sign and and and, and that was that. And then and then everything sort of falls into place and you construct your I, I, I'm sure even Mike back then, had his great booking ideas that he wanted to send over to Eric Bischoff, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think we all had the same idea at that point, right? We all had the same outcome in mind. We all, you know, we all saw the trajectory uh, leading into Starcade and 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 eventually at Starcade, biggest match in WCW history in years. Uh, but it wouldn't quite go that way either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know they're they're building to the match, and um and you know I do I do want to I do want to talk about you know Starcade. Um, so when we we before we get to the match, I I just want to talk about a couple of my favorite moments just from like the 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 road to getting there. I really loved it whenever um Sting Sting the the NWO commissions like their own like fake sting to come down from the rafters and it was like a dummy mm -hmm. and like falls from the rafter and like they beat it up and stuff and then stings like hiding in the crowd my favorite moment some of my favorite moments ever from sting is when he's hiding in the crowd with a sting mask on and then he takes the mask off and it's sting like <laughs> so like yeah th those those are just some of my favorite moments but yeah so we we, we get we get to um i'm trying actually just started i was trying to pull up the the stats I think I had the stats at one point, but we, we get to the MCI center in Washington, DC. And I think they did, I want to say like close to like 20,000 people in there. And I know they had, they sold over, I want to say over 700,000 pay-per-views for that, which is tremendous for what WCW Huge was business. doing at the time. Yeah. Like, 
and it, I'm pretty sure it was like it ended up being like their biggest pay per view of all time, right? Yes, I, I I do believe you are correct. And they did tremendous business. Yeah, so it's really it really is the 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 biggest pay per view match that they in the history of WCW, and um, Sting arrives to the building that day thinking he's gonna win. Everybody that bought that pay-per-view, and I, I bought the pay-per-view, all of my friends bought the pay-per-view, we all bought that pay-per-view thinking that Sting was going to win, that Sting was going to defeat Hogan. So they, they get to the match, or before they get to the match, um, Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan take a look at Sting, and they're like, hey, brother, this guy's not, this guy didn't have a tan. <laughs> like He's supposed to be from Venice. The Dark Knight, hanging in the rafters, doesn't have a tan, brother. I don't know if he's ready to do this thing. I don't think this works for me, brother. I think I need a long, I think I need the belt for a little while longer. I could you imagine tanking your entire company because your top babyface isn't tan? You know, and, and uh, Bischoff has tried to 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 um, he you know he's tried to to uh, walk that back a little bit. You know, the tan thing. You know, where he's like, well, not just the tan. You know. He wasn't working out, you know. He didn't look. Uh, he didn't look jacked, you know. He wasn't. Sting wrestled. Yeah, he 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 wrestled in a you know one of these body tops, you know, whatever you sleeveless tops, you know. Right. And, and his arms looked fine. Like no, he wasn't juiced out to to the max, but his arms looked fine. He didn't look out of shape. He wasn't sporting a beer belly, and and. Sting wrestled in that gear for the entirety of his, the rest of his WCW career. You know, I, I don't think yeah. he ever went bare chested after that. Right. Um, I, I, I think, I, I think in TNA it, for like one match he did. I, okay. I think, he, yeah, I think he did for one match. Um, but no, he never, he never really like full time ever. Um, but he never really looked like he was out of shape either. No, that, it's, it's, this, look anyway. This you know, it's a sidebar beside the point that you know. At some point, Bischoff started when he became the object of ridicule when he said on his podcast that he didn't give the main event to Sting because he didn't have a ten. He you know he started to retcon that a bit as well. You know there wasn't just that, and then other things happened during that uh, during that meeting that well I'm not going to talk about them because Sting said them, and if Sting has never talked about them publicly, well it's not my place to say. So we're going to leave it there. But me and Hulk, me and Hulk, me and, <laughs> who's the fucking Booker here? Who's the guy here? Right? They, you know, Bischoff should have put on his big boy pants. And just realize why everyone was 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 buying the pay per view, why he sold twenty thousand tickets, and just do the right thing instead of coming up with this convoluted finish, which got even more convoluted because something else happened during the finish that no one's quite sure about, um, and just completely tainted the 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 moment that was supposed to be like the, the, the ascension, the, the, yeah. Yeah. Finishing the story. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I, and I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up and I think we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to that point in a second. That's a good point. Actually. I, I think there are some parallels uh, to it. So we, we, so we finally, we get to the match, the main event, the biggest match of all time. And then 
I want to say it was like it had to, and you guys can correct me in the chat if you remember it better than me. I did just recently watch it, but it was like eight minutes into the match where Hogan hits the leg drop and gets the one, two, three on Sting. And Nick Patrick does like a regular count when he was supposed, like the plan was he was going to do a fast count because he was the heel ref, right? And he ends up just doing a regular count. And it was like super, and like everybody's like looking like, what the hell's going on? It's such bullshit. Like what, a, like booing everywhere, people going crazy. And then they bring in Bret Hart, right? Fresh off of Montreal. The biggest story in all of wrestling, right? Mont- like him punching out Bret, or him punching out Vince McMahon, getting screwed over a month earlier on Survivor Series in Montreal. So WCW has him now, um, who could possibly become their biggest baby face if they play their cards right. Um, or maybe like a good, like solid number two behind Sting if they didn't screw this up. So spoiler they, they, alert, they, he didn't. Yeah. He didn't so they, they they bring him out and he punches Nick Patrick for doing a regular count, like he did like his actual job, like he didn't do anything heelish. So he punches him out, comes he comes into the ring, and then Sting ends up getting the Scorpion Deathlock on him, and then Bret Hart calls for the finish, and it was like like maybe 15 minutes total. <laughs> it was like the, the biggest pay-per-view of all time. It, they, they did nothing in the match. It was, the whole thing was crap. Um, sucked the air out of the building. And one of the most horrendous finishes to a pay-per-view that I ever have ever seen. Uh, absolutely terrible. Uh, the, the, what, what was laughable in the whole thing is that the whole, the rest of the show or of that match, I should say played out as if, Nick Patrick did the fast count, but he didn't, right? Because the idea was he does the fast count, calls for the bell. Bret Hart stops the, the, the timekeeper from ringing the bell. And he says in the microphone, this is not happening again. He's directly referencing yeah. the screw job. He says, I'm not letting this happen again. So he's different, but there's nothing to, there's nothing there's no screw job there's nothing to not let happen again nick patrick called it down the line and did a regular three count and sting didn't kick out that's just that that's just how it goes um the the, and 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 this is part of the story where you know no one's quite sure exactly what happened because they were supposed to do they were supposed to do the, the fast count, but someone told Nick Patrick after everyone agreed on the finish to not do a fast count. We can yeah, all assume it, who. Right. Did, did Nick Patrick ever like come out and say that it was Hogan? He, he, he was on it. He did. Um, I think it was uh, Dave Penzer had a podcast for a while and uh, didn't they all. <laughs> and uh <laughs> And uh, he he was on it, and they talked about it. And he, Nick Patrick said, "Look, I have, I had the boss telling me one thing, and then I have one of the top guys." And he didn't say the top guy, right? He didn't. He didn't. But I have one of the top guys telling me something else. What am I supposed to do? Kind of thing. Yeah, like I'm paraphrasing his entire. You know, I, I'm shortening it. TLDR here, but that's yeah. essentially what it was. <laughs> yeah. You know. Uh, you know, the boss is telling me one thing, but then one of the top guys is telling me something else. Uh, what am I supposed to do? Kind of thing. So, you know, we can all assume who who made the call. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a, a reasonable assumption that it was Hogan that made the call. And that single call 
that he made um, was the catalyst to, to tanking the rest of Sting's run in WCW because he was never the same. Um, no. And then Brett, Brett never got off the ground. And then honestly, shortly after that, I, I think that 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 was the beginning of the end for WCW. And I know a lot of people point to like Goldberg losing. A lot of people point to the, the finger poke of doom. In my opinion, this is when we all started like losing consumer confidence in, in WCW. Um, because like the booking just got like, so they, I don't want to say they lucked into Goldberg because I think they worked really hard on making Goldberg. And I think a lot of people put a lot of effort into making Goldberg and he was awesome. Goldberg really in 1998, his ascension really, like um kind of slowed the decline down but then once he cooled off like it was completely over and it was because it, the beginning of the end was was hogan and sting in star k97 i agree I, co- I completely agree and you know i i think i i think the because because i agree with you at the same time that from this point on sting was never quite the same but i yeah. think that the 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 nail in the coffin the true nail in the coffin was the following night on Nitro, when they yes. redid the match. Do we have time to talk about this real quick? Dude, we, we got all the time. Dude, I'm in Hawaii. It's not even 8 o'clock right now. <laughs> no, but I, you know, I, 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 you know, I, don't, I don't want you to go to, to, into flagship territory here. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But the, 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 real, the, the real impetus, I think, to Sting never really recovering from all of this is on the next night, they decide to do the redo on Nitro, right? They do this yeah. whole thing. With JJ Dillon and the executive committee, and and uh, and Sting is doing an open challenge, and it's Hogan who accepts, and they do the whole thing, right? And they redo the match, which cuts off, right? <laughs> you, you never see uh, the finish of no. the match, but they air the finish of the match on the debuting Thunder WCW Thunder that was debuting that week. So mm. a lot, you know, uh, a lot of people were really mad and wrote to. To uh, to Turner to let them know the displeasure of not seeing the you know the finish of the match, but a lot of people then are like, oh, this is a promotional tactic to get people to watch Thunder ultimately, right? Both things, yeah, you know, it, it makes sense to me. So when you tune in on Thunder to see how everything happened, now if if memory serves me right here, uh, it is not Nick Patrick who is the official official referee. <laughs> <laughs> but some of I don't remember who, but it was not Nick Patrick. But during the match, the referee gets there's a ref bump, and then Nick Patrick runs in to 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 do a count on a roll up or whatever, and he does a fast count. Yeah. Now he, he does, does the fucking fast count. He does what he's supposed to do from the night before. Yeah, exactly. He does the <laughs> fucking fast count. Yeah. So Hogan starts celebrating, but then. Uh, but but then the other referee wakes up and he, and and he's like, no, I'm the referee. So the match continues. It's very, I could only imagine someone in the audience not hearing commentary, not hearing yeah. Shivani and and you know uh, trying to make sense of this. Everyone's confused in the audience. The match continues. Sting wins the match uh, with the the other referee, with the original official, and then JJ Dillon doesn't know what to do. Right, mm-hmm. but, but uh, anyway, so then after they they do that, they have Hogan come to the ring because J.J. Dillon has this this announcement that he has to make, and it breaks his heart. It's something that churns churns his stomach, you know. It, it, it's got him inside out, and he they, he brings Hogan to the ring, who thinks he's going to get the title. He brings Sting out, 
Uh, and he says that, you know, because of what happened with the double count outs and all of the, the, the double decisions, I, I have to vacate the title. Yeah. That's the, and he asked Sting to give over the title. And Sting is pissed, of course, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, like none. So I think from that point on, all the, that's where, 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 like you said, I think it's, that's the perfect terminology consumer confidence started to dip because you're like, well, what the fuck? We just spent months getting excited for Sting's title run, and now you're just yanking it away you, yeah. for, for no apparent reason. Well, and then so they, they get to they get the sold out in 98. And I will and guys, I, I this is not hyperbole. Um sold out 98 is one of the greatest pay-per-views the WCW ever point put on. It's go it's a very underrated show. Bret Hart versus Ric Flair, um, like Savage and Luger, uh, Chris Benoit versus Raven, like just tons of awesome matches. So, but in the middle of that show, they bring out Roddy Piper and they bring out Sting and they bring out Hogan to like make the announcement, like, okay, the title's been vacated. Now what are we gonna do about it? And then they make the match for the following month of February. It's Super Brawl 98. And so we, we get there. I was like, okay, we're finally going to get a conclusion to this Hogan and Sting feud. And they get to Super Brawl 98, and they're stinking the joint out. <laughs> and it's a terrible Sting, match. It's a terrible it's a match. terrible match. And Sting eventually wins, but because it's Hogan, he cannot win clean. Your ultimate babyface cannot vanquish the villain clean because Randy Savage has to be the star of the match and come in and hit, I think he hit Hogan with a spray can. It was, do I remember that right? It was like a spray can or I something think like so. that. Yeah. 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 He, he, he attacked Hogan with a spray can and then Sting eventually uh, finally defeats Hogan and is now the, the, the world champion after, you know, the, in the third match. <laughs> Just what, what a complete shit show that whole company was. And, and honestly, all of this could have been prevented if they had just done, if they had just given Sting the title clean without any yeah. bullshit at Starcade. And honestly, it probably would have saved Starcade because it is Starcade 97 is a bad wrestling show on top of yeah. it all. It, it's not a good show. Yeah. Yeah. And so Sting, Sting ends up winning the title at Super Bowl. And then um, he goes on to have a two month reign and he loses the title. It does spring. Didn't he lose it at spring stampede? Did he lose it to God? You know what? I should, I thought I had, hold on. I got to look that up. When does sting lose the title? If you guys are in the chat, you, you guys can see it. So sting loses title 1998. Let's see. I think he, he loses it. Let's see how sting have, how did sting manage to have the worst WCW title reign ever? So Let's see. He won it. He won it in in, uh, in Super Brawl. God, you know, I'm on one of these articles where it takes you fucking forever to get to the conclusion. Let me see here. Let's um, see. I, I can't. I think I want to say he lost. He lost to Savage in like April. Sorry, guys. This is bad radio. I should have really been prepared for this. Is the. <laughs> Hang on. I'm helping. Um, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'm helping. He, he did. Yeah, you are correct. It was at spring stampede and he lost it to Savage. Okay. Spring stampede, Macho Man Randy. So he ends up holding the title for just two months and then drops Mm -hmm. it right back to Savage. Savage who helped him win the title 
and uh, was obviously a Hogan crony. Like, I, I think this whole thing was because, like, Hogan felt threatened by Sting because Sting sure. had become bigger than him, you know, from, like, 96 through 97. He, he, was, he was the bigger deal. And uh, and Hogan just couldn't take it, and so he had to tank. He had to tank Sting's career, and it took a long time for him to recover from that. It it it, it took a, a tremendous amount of time. Uh, I w- I would even argue that um, he he kind of needed TNA to find to refine some kind of footing and f- just find some some love in doing pro wrestling again. You know, a lot of people like to yeah. make fun of Joker Sting, but he was having a blast doing Joker Sting, like. Hey, you could tell if anybody he, wants to if anybody wants to make fun of Joker Sting in front of me, we're fighting like on site. <laughs> you know the the summer the summer of 2011 is always going to be remembered as like the summer of punk, but there was something else happening in pro wrestling at the time that I thought was pretty damn good, and that was Joker Sting and Joker going crazy on Eric Bischoff and then Hulk Hogan and his uh, his crew Immortal, um, all all the way into Bound for Glory uh, 2011 where. He ends up having Hulk Hogan's last wrestling match. And like the last time Hulk Hogan, like, you know, bled in a match and got a big pop. Like the match was itself was the shits, but the aftermatch with, uh, with Hogan turning back babyface and like the two guys embracing was pretty fun to watch. So, um, yeah, I, I thought Joker Singer ruled. Yeah. And I, 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 I thought he was, I thought he had a blast. He, he was having a blast doing it, but I mean, listen, you know, I, I I mentioned it jokingly. You know, he the, the using the finishing the story terminology, but this yeah. is you know there's there's some interesting parallels that that you could that you can draw here patterns that you could easily fall back into in let's say in modern day WWE right now because uh, it you know look the parallels are there I, I think they're there yeah. um, and uh, and. A, a huge mistake was made back in 1997 with the decisions that they made, not only at Starcade but in the the days that followed as well. And it, 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 and it all started to fall apart. You know, I, I, I you know, I, I'm not saying here that if, you know, that because Cody Rhodes didn't win at WrestleMania last year, that WWE is destined to fall apart as well. That's definitely not what I'm saying, but. Um, but you can only drag your you can only drag your fan base along so much so long before they ultimately do turn on you and they say okay well this is nonsense what are we doing i mean we already got a taste of it they want they want us to believe that um that cody versus roman was the plan all along and that the rock was just going to be there <laughs> they want us to believe that's yeah. what it was but that was not the case. They've been trying to do Rock versus Roman for the past three years. Yeah, well, and as Joe Lanza will tell you, and he's and he's spot on. The Bloodline story was always the conclusion was Rock versus Roman, like that, like from the beginning. And Cody, Cody was just kind of like a side part of the story. You know, I the the fin- finishing the story, I think is very appropriate. You know, Sting not winning at at Starkey ninety seven was way worse, I would say, because that was like. That was like a colossal failure that that ultimately springboarded the end of WCW. Um, I I felt like Cody losing at WrestleMania could have been very, very bad. Um, The difference was I think they they could have tanked Cody's career, but fortunately for them, they were able to kind of regain some steam, and now he seems to be hot again going back into this mania. Um, And they're they're a more competently ran company than WCW was at the time. 
So like they're just like they're more of like a corporation versus WCW was like um you know was a zoo. being ran by it was a zoo it was being ran by Bischoff who was being worked by all the top stars. Everybody was like overpaid and they stopped drawing because the comp the booking was so incompetent. So you know there were there were a lot of things that contributed to the death of WCW. I just think that Sting losing to Hogan and, and Starcade was kind of like that 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 first he's the Gavrilo Princip you know what I mean like you, you brought up Franz Ferdinand like you know. Gavrilo Princip, you know, killing Franz Ferdinand was like the catalyst that started, you know, the First World War. But, you know, there was a lot of things going on at the time that, that ultimately contributed to it, right? So I, mm-hmm. I think th- this might be like that moment that we're talking about. And that's not the first time I've used that parallel. So I know people are going to be like, Mike, you keep talking about Gavrilo Princip. I know. I love that story. Sorry. But um, <laughs> like, it, but, but very much like it was like one one aspect of it, but it was probably the most significant aspect that there was. Yeah, you know, there, there's there's a lot of again, there's a lot of there was a lot of stuff going on, and there's a lot of very poor decisions that were made after that. On top of it, but this yeah. was definitely an impetus. This was uh, uh, this was a spark. Uh, it was uh, it was a terrible decision that capped off a terrible show, uh, yeah. and uh, and uh, the the next few days were just absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, I mean. Sting for everything that he gave to the company, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. You know, it, it's uh, it's a shame that he ended up his that his tenure ended up like this because one man was afraid to share a spotlight to 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 not go quietly unto the night who still thought that he had something to give when all he would do is take. And yeah. unfortunately, he, you know, Sting was a uh, was a casualty of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I I think you said that beautifully. Uh, we've often said here that Sting's greatest rivalry was with uh, the WCW booking <laughs> and WCW politics. You know, he he had to deal with it with Ole Anderson. He had to deal with it with a little bit with Flair, with Hogan, with Bischoff. Um, I think TNA always did a pretty good job with Sting. I think some of the storylines are a bit kooky and wonky. I was never a fan of the Abyss one. Um, mm-hmm. But I always felt like they treated him with reverence. Not on his way out, though. As we had a TNA, like him like losing to Nick Aldis and kind of like they kind of cast him aside. But, uh, you know, God bless Tony Khan and AEW for for the job that they have done with this uh, the last few years with Sting and the company and the big send-off that we're going to get to see on Sunday night in Greensboro with Revolution. Uh, main event, Young Bucks versus uh, Sting and uh, Darby Allen. I am so stoked for it. I think they just did a tremendous job. Um, Sting finally, Sting finally got treated the way he always was meant to be treated, right? Like with, like with reverence. They treat him like a legend. Like he is an icon. Um, he's always being held up on a pedestal every time he's on the television show. So I, I just think that they've just done a tremendous job all around. And he has to, well, you know, it goes both ways, right? Uh, he yeah. has. He has two, uh, you know, there's an entire generation of wrestling fans who, who've never seen a Sting match in their life, right? You know, you, you and me were the old guard, but a lot of a lot of wrestling fans these days had no idea who this guy was. Uh, and, uh, you know, his, his matches would always over-deliver every single time. Uh, his his promos, everything he did was, uh, was spot on. He's, he, even in AEW him itself, he he's worked to deserve this this send off, regardless of his you know, or on top of his of his career of his legendary career. 
even what he's done here in AEW has has warranted that. So, um, yeah, it's it, you know might be a, there might be a tier or two uh, in in Quebec City and in Hawaii uh, the, <laughs> on, on Sunday. Yeah, I I think I think there will be. Um, Warren, I really, really greatly appreciate you added so much to this show. Thank you so much oh. for, for, for being on the podcast this week. Uh, JD, God bless you. God bless the Oliva family. I know you guys are going through a lot, so, um, we just hang in there, buddy. And I hope, we'll hope to see you soon. Hey, Warren, let's get some plugs, uh, before we, uh, before we sign off here, man. Well, uh, I, I, you know, I do the Mr. Warren Hayes show, which, uh, yeah, I, like Mike mentioned at the start, at the start of the show, you can, uh, you can follow on youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes or on your favorite podcast application right now. Like I said, you know, I, there hasn't been any new content recently, uh, but I'm, uh, I'm slowly getting back into, you know, as much as, uh, as, as you were thanking me to be on the show, I'm truly appreciative of you inviting me. I love what you and, and JD do. And on top of that, it's allowing me to dip my toes in and see how medically I can put up with this. <laughs> so yeah. so I, it, it all, I'm, I'm no doctor, but I am a fan and I could, you know, your performance tonight, I'd say you're, you're, you're ready, brother. And I, I, I think, think so. we need to hear your voice back in the space. I, I think so. So um, it, it, it'll be a question of, uh, of a week, a few days, maybe. And, uh, and I'll be back. YouTube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes. Subscribe there or follow me on your favorite podcast application. I'm also on the, the blue sky at uh, Mr. Warren Hayes, or you can also join the discord, uh, the Mr. Warren Hayes show discord. If you go to any of my socials and whatnot, the link is in the description uh, for the discord. Trust me, not anything yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Go and you can interact with Warren there with all his uh, great fans there on the Discord. Uh, speaking of Discord, uh, the Voices of Wrestling Discord, you can interact with me over there on the, the Mike and JD Show thread or the TNA thread. Uh, I'm in there arguing with people all the time, so come come join us uh, over there on the Voices of Wrestling Discord. Make sure you go to patreon.com slash the Mike and JD Show if you like this content. Um, I will be back this weekend with an AEW Revolution review. I might even go live right after the show. It depends on the schedule. Sunday nights are tough in the Gilbert household, but I am going to try to make this thing happen. So, And I'm going to do that strictly for Patreon. So patreon.com slash the Mike and JD Show. Plus, I'm going to have Brace for Impact coming out this weekend. Uh, I'm one of the only idiots in the world that has an Impact podcast or a TNA podcast, and I love I love my TNA podcast and I love the, the fans of that show. So thank you guys uh, for being here. I really do appreciate you. We appreciate you, Warren. JD, God bless you. And until next time, mahalo. Uh, 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 uh. Competition starting to get thick. It's a click, so I hope you watch your A game. Amen. No way. From the track when we unite and spit. This isn't A game. Better bring your A game. Competition starting to get thick, it's the click, so I hope you watch your A-game. Eight mate, no rain from the track when we... All right, we did it. Ooh, man, that was a good show, man. Thank you so much, dude. I really appreciate that. Uh, that that, that was, This was a lot of fun. And, and thank you so much for having me on. Like, I... Honestly, this was this was great, and I, I really like what you and JD do. I really do. So I, it, oh, it's, man, that means a lot. I, I, I was very excited for you to, to to to. I was very excited when you when you sent out the invitation. I was like, hell yeah, we're doing it. Yeah, sure, <laughs> awesome. let's go. I, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, halfway through the show, my Google Docs crashed on me, and I lost all my notes. <laughs>
<laughs> no, oh no, I did really. You just yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I was like forgetting stuff, and then I was like trying to find like my notes on the Sting stuff. So I started Googling. I was like, shit. <laughs> so you really you saved me because you had the, you had some of those details off the top of your head. So I do appreciate that. <laughs> hey, no, awesome. <laughs> that, that, that's fantastic. No, look, it, 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 if anything, it didn't uh, didn't come across as a as a glitch. No, everything worked out fine. I think. <laughs> awesome, man. Thanks a lot. Get some rest, man. I know it's where, where are you at? You're in Montreal, uh, Quebec City, which is Quebec about City. which is about two and a half hours out of Montreal. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, get some rest. I know you're on the Eastern Time Zone there. I'm gonna download this and get it over to Rich and Joe, so that way they and they have it uh, fresh for the Friday morning rush, as they like to call it. So. There you go. There you go. Well, thank man. Thank you again. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it, and uh, I'll reciprocate. Trust me. Absolutely. And you're you're welcome anytime, man. If you ever need me to hop on your show, just shout. Will do. Thank you so much, man. Have All a great right. uh, rest of your evening. Yes, sir. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show.